0: Gabriel Cordell is in his wheelchair, 650 miles down, 2,500 miles to go, as he's attempting to roll across the whole of the United States. He's travelling through New Mexico, when suddenly...
1: I felt a sharp pain in my left shoulder.
0: The muscles in his upper body had been battered by the journey.
1: The pain was just so extreme that I, I couldn't roll. I couldn't roll my, my wheelchair. I broke down. I broke down because I thought, this is it. Everything that I have worked for, everything that I have sacrificed, and that's it. It's over at mile 650. And did I just lose my independence? This, did I
0: just lose one of my arms? I'm Rob Pope, and from Red Bull, this is How to Be Superhuman. In this episode, we've got an incredible story from Gabriel Cordell, whose recent Netflix documentary, Roll with Me, detailed his journey over 3,000 miles from California to New York in a standard, everyday wheelchair. Now I feel a sort of kinship with Gabe because, as you may know, I went across country once myself and we rolled off pretty much from exact same point at Santa Monica Pier and, you know, Gabe and I followed in each other's tracks pretty much all the way to Oklahoma. Now you learn a lot about yourself when you're crossing a continent under your own steam and I know I certainly did. I was just really keen to find out what Gabe's journey was like. Was it similar to mine or, as I imagine, I think any journey of this sort is unique to the individual. Gabriel had a tough life up until that point. And like many of us, he sought redemption through a physical and mental test. One that would, in his own words, take him past its threshold. A motley crew, including his nephew, joined him on that odyssey across America. The country he adopted is a seven-year-old, born and brought up in Libya.
1: The the definition of unconditional love should be the picture of my mother and father. Mm -hmm. Um, Were they supportive? Listen, when your son or daughter tells you that they want to do something that very few people have ever done in the world, in the history of the world, it's not something that's inviting to them. I rely on my arms. My arms are everything to me. They are the reason for my independence. And all they worried about was me damaging my arms and my shoulders, and then someone would have to take care of me for the rest of my life. So those three and a half months I was on the road was pure agony for my mother and father. I put them through hell but they understood their son and they knew that their son was very vigilant in anything he pursues. And they knew I was not gonna give up unless I physically was not able to roll or they had to scrape me off the pavement. Um, So those three and a half months were really, really difficult for my mother and father, very difficult. But they gave me all the support that I could ever need.
0: That's fantastic. It's great. Your finest moment so far, there may be more to come. You know, it was so tied in with your parents. But you tested them not just on this journey. I hope you don't mind me bringing it up, but your teenage years were were difficult for them, weren't they? You know, growing up in a difficult neighborhood, fell in with the wrong crowd, and maybe started to go a little bit off the rails, right? Well, listen, I'm a very curious guy. And um, when
1: I was growing up, I wanted to explore, I wanted to experiment. My parents are old fashioned, old school, off the boat. And I remember my dad telling me one day, uh, when I came home, he goes, you listen to me. He goes, even though we live in the United States of America and you have all this freedom, when you're in this house, you're in the Middle East. You understand? (laughs) You know, I was in in gangs and um, did some shady stuff, experimented with all kinds of drugs, but never to the point where I found myself in trouble with the law. And so the first love that I recognized was acting.
0: And it was that first love that led Gabriel to do something that would change his life forever.
1: On October 17, 1992, I had my first professional audition for Vidal Sassoon hair product.
0: An advert for conditioner. It might sound insignificant, But to Gabriel, it was his big break. I got
1: into my jeep that morning, a mile and a half away from my home. I entered an intersection I entered a thousand times before. He was thinking about his audition,
0: running lines through his head.
1: From my peripheral vision, I can see a car approaching the intersection and it was not slowing down.
0: His whole world went into slow motion.
1: I knew I was going to get hit.
0: And now, his reflexes took over. He was just acting on instinct.
1: So I grabbed onto my steering wheel as tight as I could and I got T-boned on a driver's side. My Jeep flipped. I went through my soft top, five, six feet in the air and I smashed my back against the telephone pole.
0: How did it feel, you know, what, what you know when you actually came around? Did did you know what had happened? Did, could you could you feel anything at that point? I remember getting hit.
1: I remember my Jeep flipping. And that's it. That's all I remember. And then the next thing I remember is I woke up on the street with the steering wheel in my hand. I ripped the steering wheel out of the console. Wow. That's how hard I was holding on and I never let go. And when I woke up, I three quarters of my body from my chest down was tingling. I couldn't move, I couldn't breathe. Um, but the craziest thing is that I knew I was paralyzed. I knew I was paralyzed. So what
0: happened after that?
1: So I just turned 22 years old. So I was now considered an adult patient. I get put into this in the adult ward and they roll my bed into this room with, God bless them, two men in their 80s on life support, ready to flatline at any moment. You know, oxygen tanks, heart monitors, and wires everywhere. And this was the first time since my accident that I freaked out, like I was angry. And I had my brother roll my bed literally rolled my bed out into the hallway, down to the nurse's station. And I said to them, if you expect me to live here for the next three months to rehabilitate myself, to get myself ready to go out into the real world as a paralyzed man, I said, this is not the place. And you need to find me another bed, another room, or I will have my brother roll my bed down 2nd Avenue back to the hospital. (laughs) I mean, I was angry. Um, and, uh, and about an hour and a half later, they came to me and they told me that they found me another bed. But there was one problem. It was in the pediatrics ward. And the cutoff age is 21 years old. And so after some convincing, they made an exception. just Because I just turned 22, they made an exception for me. And I got to go and stay in the pediatrics ward. And that was a game changer. I lived with children age ranging from six months to 18 years old. I saw every disability, every disease, every illness a child could have and it broke my heart. And let me tell you something, that is the reason why I was able to rebound and to get my shit together because of what I saw these children living with. I had 22 years of health and normalcy. Those children never, ever had a chance to know what a regular normal life was. And because of those children, I was able to look at my circumstances and everything that I have suffered and look at it and say, you know what? I don't have it so bad.
0: So over the next 20 years, Gabriel continued his work as an actor. He appeared in TV shows as an extra or one-line part, but the trauma of what happened to him never really left him. He was constantly reminded of the fact he was paralyzed from the moment he woke up to the moment he went to bed. And in the end, it started to take a toll on his mental state.
1: I was working as an actor but I was also starting to dabble with cocaine. I had to be on set one day and I decided to go and visit my drug dealer before I went on set, uh, not a good idea. And, um, and so I got high before I went on set. And uh, the next morning, my agent calls me and tells me, uh, they no longer want your services. And I knew why, I knew why. And from that point on, I just, I did away with acting, I put it on the back burner, and I just uh, made a conscious choice to check out of reality.
0: And how, how did your parents cope with that?
1: They didn't know. Yeah. That was the greatest role I ever played in my <laughs> life. No one knew how bad I was. No the- one The
0: role that you never wanted to play as well, you know? How did did you audition for a different role? How do you pull yourself out of that situation?
1: When I was 18 years old, I made a promise to myself that by the time I turned 45, I was going to accomplish something extraordinary in my life. I was 42 years old. I was running out of time. I had three years left. And that promise I made to myself, that was real, Rob. That was real. Mm. And so... I remember in 2009 or 2010, this guy stops me in the middle of a parking lot and he goes, I'm inventing a new wheelchair and I wanna pick your brain. Can I take some of your time? And I'm like, well, I can't do it now, I'm busy. Um, And he goes to me, here's my number, I'll pay you for your time. So I went to this guy's house and he started picking my brain, started asking me questions. Fast forward about two years, He calls me and tells me that I have the first prototype of this new wheelchair. I want you to come and check it out. And so I go to his house. I see the wheelchair, and it's nothing like the one I use. And I get on it, and I start rolling in it. So I asked him, I said, "Uh, how are you looking to promote this wheelchair? What what are you going to do? And he goes, I don't know yet. So I said to him, have you ever thought about having someone roll your wheelchair a long distance? And he said, no. And my brain started going and I started typing, has anybody rolled a wheelchair across America? And then a couple of names came up, Rob Carpenter and George Murray. And I was like, what? These two guys rolled a wheelchair across America? It stuck. That idea just stuck. And so for me, it was how can I differentiate myself from what these guys did, right? And so I thought... Well, what kind of wheelchair did they use? This yes. they used modified chairs. They had uh, bigger tires, longer frame, they had handlebars, and then they had parachutes in the back. So when they go downhill, because um, you know when they were going downhill, they got clocked at the fastest at 55 miles an hour. And so they had these parachutes that would slow them down, but it was a modified chair. And so I thought, well, what if I do it in my chair, my everyday wheelchair? So I look at it as this way. When they did their role, they did it in sneakers. When I did my role, I did it in high heels. <laughs> but but we still did but we still did the
0: role. And so you basically turn your body from the opposite of a temple into a, a finely tuned rolling machine. But your body, as you mentioned before, your arms, it's you know, it's your independence. Were you not concerned that you were gonna mess yourself up pretty bad on this, right? My family, my
1: friends, everyone was concerned. Well, first of all, everyone didn't think I can do it, right? And why would they? I mean, that's just a crazy, it's a crazy undertaking. But I wasn't concerned. I was just so focused on on trying to make good with the promise I made myself. And I realized that the extraordinary achievement I've been searching for for 20 years was this. This was it. This was, it was the role. So I was excited. There was nothing that was going to deter me unless physically something uh, stopped me. But otherwise, like mentally, I was as focused as I've ever been. And by the eight months, by the time I finished training those eight months, I was a fucking machine.
0: The part of your story that really resonated with me, and I have to admit that when I was watching the documentary, it took my breath away a few times because we actually shared a a number of the exact same miles on certain roads in the States. And I finished Mm. my first crossing and therefore started my second at Santa Monica Pier, which is, you know, where you started yours. And so I know that feeling of turning away from the Pacific and looking east, Tell us about what you felt at that very, very point when you were about to roll. Numb.
1: I didn't feel anything. I had a job to do. I had so many people just putting their faith, right, and their hopes, but I felt numb. I didn't have any, any emotion. Was that um, numb
0: num focus or do you reckon you just couldn't comprehend it at that point? Well, I didn't know what I was getting into, Rob. Yeah, you know, I know that it's like ha-
1: I can't see 3,100 miles. You know, all I could see is the next block. And for me, it was just about that. It was about just focusing on what I can see in front of me.
0: But what was in front of him was a 3,000-mile journey from California. Through New Mexico, Oklahoma, the Appalachian Mountains in Pennsylvania, and then down into New York. Three thousand miles. Sounds pretty far, right? Well, it seems a lot further when you're on the start line. Take that from experience and all you can do is take a deep breath and push off.
1: My idea, now that I think about it, it was just completely just ridiculous to even think that I can roll across America in 65 days. So that gave me about 50 miles a day. And so the first two weeks, I rolled 40, 45, 43, 42 every day Mm -hmm. for about two weeks. I would roll 20 miles and then I would take a break and then I would roll another 20 miles. So within a 24-hour span, I would roll about, 40, 45 miles for about the first two weeks. And then, you know, you get into um, the deep desert and the heat and the humidity. And then at night it's freezing. So, you know, I started kind of just changing it up a little. You know, I'll I'll roll 30 miles today. I'll roll 40 miles. It all depended on how I felt. But but for the most part, it was about forty miles average a day for the first couple of weeks.
0: Wow, so that's a that's a really, really brutal start. You know, was was the change of pace? Did that include your time spent on the freeway? Tell us about that. Yeah, um, when we were going through California, we were
1: going through an area that I had the option of doing it on the legal road, which was an extra. 50 or 60 miles or I can go on the freeway illegally for 14 miles or 13 miles, whatever it was. And listen, when you're looking to roll 3000 miles, any, any shortcuts are welcoming, you know, (laughs) you're looking for the shortest way possible. And so when they gave me that option, I was like, hell yeah, I'm gonna go roll on the damn freeway. So, so here we are, pitch dark, rolling on the 10 freeway. I gotta tell you, I was it was a little nerve-wracking because these cars are flying 80 miles an hour, and here I am on the shoulder, and uh no one can really see me. And then about about five miles into it, um, the first cop car stops us. And he's like, uh, what the hell are you guys doing? And like nothing. <laughs> and he goes, Well, I just get I, I just got so many phone calls telling me that there's a guy in a in a wheelchair rolling on the freeway. Correct. And correct. And I, we were, and I was just like, um, okay. We're coming clean, sir, officer. I'm I'm looking to roll across America and we just left like four days ago and um, we had an option of doing fifty miles all the way around legally or 14 miles illegal and I chose the illegal. (laughs) And he goes, now, why would you do that? I said, cause I'm trying not to roll as much as, as least as possible as I could officer. He goes, I'm gonna leave now. He goes, you can't be rolling on the freeway. So I said, okay, I apologize. He left, I got out of my car. I got back on the freeway. I started rolling. The same cop comes back an hour later. And he was already 45 minutes away from us. An hour later, he stops us. And he goes, what the hell are you doing? He goes, I, did I just finish telling you that this is illegal? I'm like, officer, all I got is four miles left, four miles before, before we have to do the exit. And then I'm done. He, go, he turns around, he goes, I know nothing. I saw nothing. I heard nothing. Be careful and good luck. And oh, he left man. and he let us finish.
0: I needed to meet that guy on Highway 101. Like I had to I had to, I had to climb down a, like a mountainside and cross a river because he made me get off 400 yards before the junction. I got the wrong highway patrol officer for sure.
1: Every day we got stopped by cops every single day.
0: How are you holding up at this point? You know, like sort
1: of were you in, in good shape or not? Well, let's see. The first 650 miles it was awesome. It's amazing to actually say you rolled across a whole state. So when I rolled across California and I got to California, Arizona border, I was just like, I just rolled across California. Holy shit. Like that's, that's nuts. And, and so I was stoked. Um, The toughest day was uh, in Arizona when we had to uh, go through Superior and that was a five and a half, five mile uphill. I, I
0: ran the same hill, man, all the way through that tunnel. I, I feel your exact pain, but I think not nowhere near the level as you would have done rolling up, you know? It took me two and a half hours
1: to get up those five miles. And I was averaging six miles, about almost six miles an hour. It took me two and a half hours to get up that, the, that five miles. Um, and it was great. I felt like I conquered the world after I got up that hill because that was brutal.
0: He was on top of the world. But what comes up? Must go down, as they say.
1: You know, the prize of getting up a hill is getting uh, to coast down the hill and not having to roll. But because of the headwinds, I had to push as hard as I can going downhill.
0: And as Gabriel was pushing, struggling against the wind, all those miles of rolling started to take the toll
1: and mile 650 in Deming, I I felt a sharp pain in my left shoulder.
0: His shoulder, which had carried him so far.
1: The pain was just so extreme that I I couldn't roll. I couldn't roll my
0: my wheelchair. What was he going to do? He'd come so far and now he can't even feel his arms.
1: So we stopped, we iced it. I got back, started rolling again. The pain was not letting go. I stopped again, iced it, went back rolling. And the whole entire day, I must've stopped like four or five times. And uh, I broke down. I broke down because I thought this is it everything that I have worked for, everything that I have sacrificed, and that's it. It's over at mile 650. And did I just lose my independence? Did I just lose one of my arms?
0: He's asking himself, is this it? Because if he loses the use of his arms, he's basically lost everything. Now imagine how scary that thought is for him.
1: That was tough, um, but... You know, we didn't roll for the next two days. I, I gave my arm a rest, did a lot of praying, a lot of praying, Rob, and I don't know what happened, man. I don't know what happened. I got up, not the next day, the day after, and I started rolling, and I could roll. I was like, okay, let me roll five miles. Let's see how that feels. After five miles, I felt the pain, but but I can overcome it, you know? I can I can deal with the pain, right? Yeah. and and i just kept rolling and little by little just rolling and rolling and and i don't know what happened but i was able to carry on i was able to carry on
0: do you think you can deal with the pain better than most people well i mean
1: i don't know i don't know if i can deal with pain more than most people but i knew that that there's no way i was going to complete this this role without having to suffer, without having to deal with it. excruciating pain. I knew that was part of the process. And I was just able to push the pain to the side, even though I felt it every single second I was rolling, but not to the point where I couldn't use my arm. And I tell people, I said, my right arm pushed 3,100 miles. My left arm probably pushed about 2,600 miles.
0: So those were the tests his own body was throwing at him. But what about the elements? Well, in America, anything can happen. And it was as he was traveling through Oklahoma that he came face to face with one of Mother Nature's most destructive forces.
1: It's It's an eerie sound. I don't know if you ever heard a tornado sound. Uh, with the tornado sirens going off, it is a very eerie sound. You know, we were going through Oklahoma, and uh, it was it was you know a really really bad really bad tornado. Where we were around Chandler, Arizona, it was devastated, devastated. And we felt, as a team, people have supported us and given us so much when we were on the road that it was time for us to give back. And so we all uh, drove around and we saw we saw this one house that was completely obliterated, 5,000 square foot home that was just left in rubbles. And uh, there was uh, people there and we went and I spoke to the people and they were the owners of the house. You know, we asked them, you know, we we'd like to, you know, pay it forward and we'd like to come and help. I tell you, this was the first time that since we left the role that the team came together as one unit because the whole entire time it was really the only time in the whole trip that we felt cohesive.
0: You were still getting the job done. So I you know I I admire your cohesiveness even from that way. But you you miss the Rockies but the Appalachians were always gonna get you. Tell us about what that was like, because physically it must have been so hard, both up and down. Well, Pennsylvania kicked my
1: ass more than the other 12 states combined. New Mexico was frustrating, okay, because of the winds, the headwinds going downhill. Pennsylvania kicked the living shit out of me. Uh, It took me, I think, 14 days to get through Pennsylvania. It was uh, 450 miles of the Appalachian Mountains. And um, there's nothing straight in Pennsylvania, nothing straight. There's no road that is longer than a mile that's straight. Everything is just turns, turns, ups and downs, and I lost fifteen pounds just in Pennsylvania from the from the hundred percent humidity and uh blairsville that that was the second hardest day um i was I was into my uh role I was about thirteen miles into my role, and we come around this bend and we see this enormous hill, and we call them hills, but it was like a mountain that was just straight up. I mean it looked like it was just straight up. It was it had to have been at least 26 degree banking. Um uh and it just kept going, dude. It just kept going up. I couldn't see the end of it. Um and and uh you know, at towards the end of the movie, you, when when I'm drooling all over myself and and I look like I'm just going to pass out. That that was that day. Um but Pennsylvania was Brutal, brutal.
0: Must be why Rocky's so tough, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, right.
0: Like So going downhill wasn't the breeze in the park that you know, you'd make it out to me be because you, know, you didn't have handlebars, you didn't have a parachute. Going downhill was not fun at all. I
1: mean, the only thing that was good about it is that I didn't have to push, but going downhill was not. Uh, the fastest I got clocked at was uh, 27 miles an hour. I had gloves on, I went through 198 pairs of gloves. And anytime I went downhill, I would just burn a hole through my gloves, just burn a hole through my gloves. And I feel the heat on my hands and burning um, just, just from all the downhills. I, I took a couple of spills, flew out of my chair, because uh, I hit a rock or I hit a, I hit a little crevice in the road. Um, and uh, thank God I didn't injure myself too bad. But, you know, I walked I myself pretty good a few times just from going downhill.
0: So downhill all the way to New Jersey and the end is in sight. So that must have been pretty emotional for you.
1: Let me tell you something when we were rolling through Pennsylvania and I saw the sign for New Jersey holy shit
0: he knew he was close
1: that pumped me up so much
0: but he knew he still had to dig deep his muscles were screaming at him to stop
1: My body was shot. My arms, my shoulders, everything was just shot. From New Jersey all the way to my hometown, it was just Will, Will. That's all it was.
0: Well, Will, and also uh, some of those friendly officers of the law came along to see you on the way in, I believe. Like
1: I told you, we got stopped just about every single day. And the officers could not be more supportive, could not be more encouraging. And we got, we got so many police escorts, so many police escorts, but the greatest police escort is the one we got through Manhattan. I mean, who gets a police escort in Manhattan unless you're a diplomat or you're the president of the United States or some other country. And we got escorted through New York City uh, for 120 blocks. That was amazing. <laughs>
0: 100 magnificent days 3100 miles over 30 miles a day in a wheelchair that's not yes. designed for anything like that and you're surrounded now by some people who've supported you your your, your your magnificent crew and of course your family and you have to deliver a speech which was incredible can can you sum that speech up for us
1: try trying to get the right words out um, trying not to be emotional, um, th- that was that was really really difficult because uh, all I wanted to do was just cry, uh, but I knew that I had to make a speech and talk and and I just wanted to make sure that um, that I acknowledged my crew, I wanted to make sure that I acknowledged my parents, I wanted to make sure that people understood that I am. I was no, i'm number, I'm nobody special, right even though I just did this extr extraordinary unbelievable thing that I was no more special than anyone, and that it was just determination and sheer will. but what I did wasn't impossible for anyone else to do so you
0: wouldn't say you were superhuman
1: oh hell no, are you kidding me i'm 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 more I am as flawed of a human being who just did happen to do something absolutely extraordinary. And listen, Rob, there ain't no secret to this shit, all right? There ain't no secret to this, all right? It's if you're willing to put it all out on the line. And when I say put it all out on the line, I'm not saying go and work your ass off and work hard because it takes more than just hard work. And, And you know this, right? When you take on something like this, all right, you're gonna to get to a point where there's going to be a threshold, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the difference between succeeding at something of this magnitude or not, is if you can overcome the threshold, that little threshold where the pain and the suffering and the agony and the misery of, of what you're doing, if you can overcome that threshold, it's 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 smooth sailing f- from there on out. But you just have to be willing. That is the difference between someone accomplishing something extraordinary or not. It's not the commitment. It's not it's not the the want and the desire to do it. Right. It's it's are you going to be able to go through the suffering that it takes to get you to the other side of it? And once you set your mind and you're able to follow through with that, then nothing is impossible, Rob. Nothing. All right. It ain't no super powers. It ain't no secrets. It ain't nothing. It is the hardest work you've ever had to do. And then multiply that by a million. And if you can get through that, then you can accomplish anything you set your mind to because we're all ordinary people just trying to do extraordinary
0: things. And I know Gabriel's got some incredible adventures and physical challenges up his sleeve. I, for one, can't wait to see what happens next on his journey. On next week's episode, we'll be hearing from Sasha de Julian, the first woman to conquer the Canadian trilogy in the Rockies.
1: All of a sudden, my left hand and my left foot break off from the wall. And I feel like the gravity of these holes just like tumbling down beneath me into this dark wisp of air. And in that moment, I just wanted to cry.
0: Please don't forget to share stories of your own superhuman adventures using the hashtag Red Bull How to be Superhuman on social media. Thanks for listening. How To Be Superhuman is a Something Else production for Red Bull Media House.